1: But you're the Filet-O-Fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
0: And if you love the Filet-O-Fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
2: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It is officially Super Bowl week. One of the most fun times of the year. And a documentary on the Ravens came out this week. So much to talk about on Pod Like a Raven. So we almost were doomed, in a sense, with having no Ravens things to talk about, really, and only focusing on the Super Bowl, which is fine and fun. And then I forgot that a perfectly timed Ravens related documentary was released Sunday night and we have a lot to talk about with it I am Antonio Barbera and I'm joined by my two co-hosts coming right off the documentary let's start on the east coast Tim Horsey Tim uh I don't know if you're gonna watch the Oscars or not this year but <laughs> you think bullies of Baltimore uh should be a best picture best picture candidate
1: I think it should be a Best Picture candidate. I absolutely love this documentary. Was I a little inebriated watching it? Yes. Did that make my viewing experience better? Yes. But uh, getting to see Tony Saragusa and that just colorful cast of characters that we'll get into more detail was such a perfect way to end the weekend, especially a weekend of no football, because um, I'll just do this now. I didn't watch any of the Pro Bowl like I told you I would. I don't lie to our listeners here on Pod Like a Raven. Didn't see a minute of it. Uh, or any of the balloon toss or whatever the hell they were doing uh, in Las Vegas this year um but yeah that that was a nice way to do it for probably you know my f- the team that I fell in love with football uh the team that made me fall in love with football, I should say it was nice kind of getting a rehash on that and this is this is going to go into uh, you know, the oscars don 't matter um frankly so in in tim 's oscars this is this is joining the pantheon of movies. That I will watch over and over and over again. This joins *The Departed*. This joins *Dark Knight*. *Bullies of Baltimore* is right there. As, oh, it's a Tuesday night and I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna flip this on and and, and smile for an hour. It was fantastic. It is good to know that, me personally, that I'm starting the week
2: one and zero after having locked in the under twelve minutes that Tim was gonna watch Pro Bowl activities this oh, weekend. Yeah. So that's a, It's a good, good confidence booster as we get into uh, some prop bets and some picks for the Super Bowl. On the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, Boys of Baltimore. Sunday night. What'd you think of it?
3: I loved it. I mean, I, I told uh, some friends after watching this that, you know, this this documentary was engineered in a lab for me to enjoy. A documentary mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, I the best team, I'd say, you know, apologies to the 2019 Ravens, but, you know, the team that got it done, best start to finish season in... uh team history and just all these guys that you know we grew up with and Ray Lewis and all the uh Jamal Lewis and it was just so good and so I was predisposed to like it and I loved it I liked it um you know more I think than the America's Game documentary even but uh um yeah did not watch the Pro Bowl either like Tim uh, did not watch a second the only thing I saw uh, all weekend, which made me, you know, I feel bad for him, uh, cause you never want to see someone get hurt, but it gave me a little morbid chuckle cause of course this would happen to the Browns is Miles Garrett dislocated his toe at the pro bowl games, which is just a very, a very Browns thing to happen. You know, they're not even playing football anymore and they still, uh, have their best players suffer an injury. So he'll be fine. I think we've all dislocated toes before and or at least broke broken toes but uh yeah just not not probably how you want to start your off season if you're miles garrett so that's the extent of my pro Bowl knowledge but as for bullies of baltimore i'm with tim art subjective but this was objectively a great movie uh for me uh at least personally but um yeah i really enjoyed it i'm kind of excited to sort of talk a little more with you guys about it
2: i love it all right so for the listeners we will get to the super bowl we promise that we have that slated for the second half of the show, but we need to talk about Bullies of Baltimore. And I'm going to shout this out uh, as loud as I can without bothering anybody's ears. This will be a spoiler, like, spoiler alert right now because you may not have seen it yet. You may want to watch it, you know, do the ESPN Plus situation. You may catch it in a few days. You may catch it in a few weeks. We will not save you from that in the next 20 to 30 minutes. Um, we're going to be very detail-oriented, so just, you know, Skip ahead to 20, 25 minutes if you do not want to miss sort of the specifics of what of what came in here, but we all saw it and we're gonna talk about it. Uh so it's funny. You guys each I think loved it. I saw the the text thread was was hopping. I liked it. I'm I'm not gonna go so far as I to say I loved it. I loved this the subject matter. I, I loved rewatching this dominant defense pitch shutout after shutout. And then win the first Super Bowl for all three of us. It was right at the age that we're becoming fans, like understanding what fanhood is at like 10, 11 years old. But I did not enjoy the str- the format that they chose compared to most sports documentaries. I guess they just... I mean, this is... It's an ESPN production. It's separate from... What they ended up using a bunch of, which was that event in Baltimore, that like round table uh, with a couple of X Raven players, and Kevin Byrne, who has been there like director communications guy or so 18 different roles for the for the franchise for a long time. I, I didn't like the choice of using that as opposed to just having enough interviews that you had done to stream together. The story they had to use Kevin Byrne a lot as a pivot to talk about different topics, and I thought it started a little bit slow. I thought the, those long clips from the event in Baltimore at times was a, a bit. It almost got like awkward kind of thing, like where you're kind of chuckling along with the audience of an event that's not a live event anymore. It's recorded, but also you're splicing in the interviews of of some of the players at a different time as opposed to the interviews that they're doing in the during the event. So I I didn't I was kind of lost with that and I was surprised that they chose it but I would think that decision may have come from the the death of Tony Siragusa which I think you know the, the whole structure of this show really ended up being around his death they opened with that they closed with that and they had a ton of clips from him from that event mm-hmm. so I do wonder if the arc of the documentary was impacted by the timing of that I, I think he died a month after that event was held, which is crazy timing that he was there to talk and share all these stories and and fun tidbits so close to to his you know obviously unfortunate death. But I'd be curious to know if they had a different plan for it beforehand, as opposed to as opposed to after. But I liked it. Didn't know if I loved this, the 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 using so much from that from that event.
3: I I, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, to Antonia and it, you know obviously this isn't the world we live in but if there was like an alternate cut of like what their original sort of plan would be I would be kind of curious about that but I also did think obviously the Goose stuff um I think gave it a level of kind of poignancy I guess I wasn't expecting going into it mm. certainly about like you know like especially at the end when it, you know they're all h- hugging and saying love you and like all that and like the power of team and that kind of thing uh, and how like, you know these memories last forever—all those kind of themes. Um, I guess, certainly gave it, I think, a level uh, of sort uh, sort of meaning. I think that was probably deeper than what the original was, which the original version was probably like, like remember these guys who like talked all this trash and then like beat your beat your behind and they didn't care. Like, it, so it probably, I guess, gave it a, certainly a level of emotional depth. But I was with you. I was curious, kind of just that alternate world of like what would this documentary be if you know if goose was still with us and i i certainly think it would probably have taken a little bit of a different path and just been more about just the in-your-face personalities and less certainly the emotional sort of tugging on the heartstrings kind of side of things
1: i mean I'm not going to say I completely disagree with you guys. I just didn't notice it as a negative. Like, I didn't. I
3: don't think it's a negative. I just think it's, I'm curious, like, what would be different, I guess.
1: Sure. I, I thought it was an interesting angle um, and kind of a new way to do something. As, as somebody who spends most of my workday trying to find new angles to talk about things that aren't just the same old boring crap all the time. You know. Yeah, leave Schreiber doing the doing the like voiceover and getting these interviews and stuff would have been cool. Don't get me wrong, and, and I think it still would have worked. Um, the Saragossa stuff I thought they handled really well. Uh, obviously, there's an emotional, t- you know, tinge to it, but I also think that they they got the message across that it, this was a team that talked a lot of stuff, and I'm going to try really hard not to say the other s word, and backed it up. You know, playing against us was hell. The the clip that, from Shannon Sharp. Yeah, if you thought we said it, we said it. Everything you think we said, we said it. And, you know, Goose, I, I just want to kind of get into some of the major aspects of stuff that we did, like, outside of this. And I have two main ones. First of all, the candor, obviously, that you hear. But the two, the two stars, and we'll start with Goose because you guys brought him up. There's, there's a reason that guy was so good on television for so long after his career. I mean, the stories he told, telling Phil like, – and this is the thing I think I liked about the audience thing, where, look, only Ravens fans are going to that thing, and so they're <laughs> going to ham it up for Ravens fans, and, that, and that's what this documentary was for. Like, This was not for your Browns fans. which This was for general NFL fans, excuse me, like the history of the league, who don't have a problem with the Ravens, and the Ravens fans – Which is, you know, a smaller contingent, but hearing the story about, you know, uh, uh, Phil Sims losing his mind about the Rich Gannon thing, and they're telling all this like kind of in the background, and it's like, yeah, he went after him, and then... Uh, this is just coming from the article recapping it on baltimoreravens.com quote during production meetings uh, before Super Bowl 35 Cyrus Gusa told Sims that he was putting up new landscaping at his house they both lived in Jersey and then if he saw those plants dug up he would know where to find him and then they cut to Goose at this event knowing he's going to get a pop from the crowd going Phil Sims can kiss my ass <laughs> and and the crowd pops and like that I think that kind of stuff because I'm sitting there I'm sitting there with my girlfriend, who is probably incredibly annoyed at me at this point. I'd already done about 15 squirrel dances, jumping up and down, talking about like different moments throughout the season, and I like cheered at that, like and laughed and like clapped along. And I, I kind of think that that crowd aspect maybe enhanced that a little bit. The other guy who I think was just incredible, and we'll talk. And Antonio done a really good job of kind of stretching out some of the, some of the finer points of the documentary, but just overall. Brian Billick was the star of that of that thing, and you know we've talked about it when we've had the hardball discussion. Of we always thought Billick was a good coach, but at some point it was time to go. Billick was so good for that team. He was arrogant, and and I forgot how arrogant he was. And and they showed up. I, I'm just behind the scenes for everybody. I'm literally going to watch this again tonight, uh, <laughs> as but as we sign off, I'm going to like throw it on the iPad while I'm cooking dinner or what have you. Um, he knew he knew he held that team accountable and said they had to back it up but he brought not only his own arrogance but allowed these guys to be arrogant and just getting the quotes playing against us was hell and like you know obviously the famous f tennis f the titans thing afterwards where he's like turn the cameras off turn the cameras off turn the cameras off and nobody somebody didn't and you get that moment um him just talking about knowing that they were going to be a pain in the ass for everybody in the league and they wanted it that way and they carried that swagger with them the entire time. It also made me think, Brian, he's probably a, b- a bit too old at this point. Billick would be a hell of a coach now because now we're in the player empowerment era of letting guys be themselves and what have you. And I think I think it, in his younger days, I don't think he's you know, I think he's kind of out of coaching at this point. And, again, this is rose-tinted glasses. We were literally watching a documentary gassing him up. So there was definitely negatives, and there were definitely negatives during the Baltimore era uh, as well. I think he would make an incredible coach today. And and he was – I always loved Brian Billick, obviously. You know, brought this town a Super Bowl and had a great attitude. And as a young kid, you know, at training camp in Westminster, he he signed a couple things for me, and he was always, always generous with his time to the kids and what have you. And, like, I – and my parents – you know, we've always respected him for that, obviously, because they don't have to do that stuff. And he was always one of those guys that would. Um, he was the star of the show, and and, and a pleasant pleasant surprise for me uh, during that entire production.
3: So, <laughs> I, you mentioned the arrogance; it is easy to like to forget. I, I think what I like It liked, was
1: awesome, just awesome.
3: I, I, I probably did like the archive clips more necessarily than uh, so than the um like the round table, but I did enjoy some of the candor in the stories. Cause certainly, you know, I like the America's game documentaries, uh, but they're, they're produced by NFL films, which means they're an NFL product. And the NFL does not touch on certain things. Uh, like, you know, Tony Saragusa being backed up or him telling Phil Sims, he can kiss his ass or that kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I really liked it from that. Uh, this I That's what I liked most about this documentary is cause like, we did know some, a lot of the stories and I certainly like, you know, there were things they didn't touch on that maybe they should have, but like that as a fan, I know like with like Jermaine Lewis's son and, uh, mm-hmm. some of that kind of stuff from that from that season that they just didn't go into. Um, and you know, I, one guy who wasn't there who kind of surprised me Jonathan Ogden barely involved. Uh, he, they talked to an archive, they show one archive clip of him, uh, and, like, they don't mention, like, they don't talk to Peter Bulware at all. So there's all, like, weird sort of player choices and stuff. And, but, like, as someone who already knows a ton about the team, what I liked was just the kind of the further stories and, um, you know, just just kind of hearing those. So that's why I think it worked for me is because I, I do already bring so much knowledge of that team kind of into the Enterprise to just sort of hear more about it. That's why I just think it, it worked for me. And, and, yeah, Tim's right. Syracuse, obviously, and then billick uh with billick it was just like it was things you knew at the time like i remember like my dad and i talking about how like how arrogant he was and stuff like that like back in the day but like it was just a good reminder of like when he's standing up there and they're like what right do you have to tell us how to do our job and he's like because you're all i'm up at the podium and you're listening to me like all that kind of stuff you're just like oh man yeah this guy uh, but he worked. He worked for that team, as you said. So that's what I liked. I think most about the documentary was just kind of hearing these stories that yeah, you know, you hadn't heard before.
2: And there were some fun little tidbits that they that they did during the during the documentary and during the event itself. Bringing Tim Williams back <laughs> to redo his impression of Shannon Sharp mm. was awesome. The the Siragusa talking about how he almost signed with the Raiders and then he took a night to sleep on the deal that was offered and then accepted it the next day and Al Davis just arbitrarily dropped the deal by $50,000 and the most Tony Siragusa thing ever is to say well we'll bye then I'm not doing that Uh, and then seeing him again at the AFC title game when they won the Super Bowl and telling him I I hope those $50,000 were worth it to you because you lost out on a Super Bowl because of it the guy on the roof that didn't leave the roof for five roof weeks guy. and until the Ravens scored a touchdown and then bringing him back for the <laughs> event. He must've been like 75 years old and they had him in the audience for the event. And that tidbit specifically reminded me, cause Tim, it, it is, we sh- I want to keep talking about Billick because that is, I do think he was great for, in the documentary. And then also the, the aspect of he was an offensive coordinator in Minnesota. He was the offensive mind, Brought to Baltimore to bring points and then just complement an already really, really good defense. And the offense didn't score a touchdown for five weeks, and he somehow, maybe his biggest job, he somehow did not lose the locker room in between these five weeks of not scoring a touchdown, not scoring points between the offense and the defense. He's able to keep things afloat. He's able to keep harmony and unity in a team that had a lot of voices, had a lot of personalities, and keep the ship steady and then you know run on the that long streak of wins until they went all the way and won the Super Bowl. So nice to get some more appreciation for Billick when a lot of the I think Baltimore fans final memories is him sort of losing control and then kind of stinking the last few years and it finally being time for him to go whereas hey, he did a lot of good things as a head coach outside of not being able to do the same things that Randy Moss and Chris Carter did, and bring and bringing those you know those things to Baltimore without that talent offensively.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I I get so wistful, and I think the other thing I enjoyed about this was this 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 most recent Raven season. Antonio was just so miserable for me mm-hmm. <laughs> that to like watch a documentary of like what like just for which for me was just. Enjoyable, like just pure bliss. Like watching that Super Bowl. You know, we're in third grade, I believe, or, and like I never for a minute like thought the Ravens would lose the game. Like, cause I was just like dumb and young and naive. I'm like, oh yeah, they're great. Like, <laughs> they're go- <laughs> of course they're gonna win the Super Bowl. And like, I just remember like that whole night just being like a basically celebrate. Like, certainly after Dwayne Stark's pick six, like a celebration. Just like with my family, we had like think my aunt and uncle over. Um, and yeah, it was great, and like uh, you just to like sort of to live with those memories, and and then that that era, um, sort of extended as a whole, um, and I think <laughs> one thing I do want to bring up and talk touch on, and there's a million different topics to touch on him because he's a very complicated individual to me and to Ravens franchise history is Ray Lewis. Um, I you know, I I had this thought cross my head. And I jotted this down, um, as watching this this game, um, I think Ray is simultaneously the corniest and also the most genuine person of all time. And the comparison <laughs> I wrote is he's if he's Russell Wilson if Russell Wilson wasn't acting. Like this is just what he is. He's just. Like over the top. On these are two different quotes I jotted down. Maybe not verbatim, but at one point Ray said the line "Gladiator changed my life." That's the the Russell Crowe movie. And a different which
1: is which is um, insane.
3: At a different it's point, insane. he said, "I always was a fan of the Serengeti," <laughs> <laughs> talking about lions. And he like he's just like I don't know. I've gone back and forth. like I love, he, Ray Lewis is my favorite football player of all time. He's a very complicated man. Um, I'm back in on Ray, I think, in general, uh, lately, I think I've accepted, like, this is actually who he is, it's not a front, he's just, like, a bizarre guy, <laughs> extremely weird, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, Yet you know, obviously, you know, I mean, even in this documentary, like, getting lifted up through the floor with, like, the Lombardi trophy and stuff, like, it's, all... everything with him is just so ridiculous, and yet, it's somehow... He makes it work, like he, the inspiration of the locker room, the speeches, the squirrel dance, as Tim talked about, is iconic. And I think for me, that pick six against the Titans is, I think, still, for me, my favorite play in, in Ravens history. I was watching it at a family friend's house when it happened, and, um, you know, it's it's the best play by the greatest player in franchise history. I don't know how, you know... I understand you, the Mile High Miracle fans. That was incredible, too. But for me, I think that has to be number one because, you know, what it meant at the time, you know, sh- 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 shushing that stadium that had never lost a game in that, uh, the Titans had never lost since that arena or that stadium opened like two years before then. Um it was just great. It was a huge... Or I guess they lost in the regular season to, to the Ravens. But uh, it was just an incredible moment. A rivalry that still somehow remains real to this day. The Ravens and Titans. Uh, one of the better behind, I'd say, the AFC North rivalries. Certainly right there for the Ravens with the Titans. I think that was the top play for me. But yeah, and then... Obviously, the they touched on it, but Ray's legal situation, I guess we'll call it. I don't know if that they would delve into that at all. I don't know that they used the most tact they could have in addressing it. Like, I, we were talking pre-show. They showed a clip of Gladiator from the movie, like, within of 30 seconds of talking about this extremely serious situation where two guys died. I don't know how you tastefully handle it. Um, I'm surprised they addressed it at all, but, like, they kind of had to. So I'm glad they did, but that was just another thing. Just kind of put a whole bow on it. Ray Lewis, a very complicated individual that, uh, obviously you know shaped the first 17 years of franchise history uh, so there's a lot going on with him and i i think this documentary just sort of reaffirmed all that for me
1: it's interesting you'd say that too because like he wasn't used as much and i think it's because he you know he, i i completely agree with what you're saying this is ray this is not a front this is who this guy is he literally says gladiator motivates him, like but you believe it, because it's Ray Lewis, and that's just who this guy is. Um, but you could tell that they didn't use him as much as the Tony Saragusa and the Brian Billick. And Shannon Sharp, who should mention, was excellent, at, as you ex- expected. You know The whole like pranking stuff that he did with Goose and everything, too, during training camp and what have you, I think was awesome. Um, but they didn't use him because we kind of know with Ray. like We kind of know what Ray is, and, and Ray can get you pumped up for a game. He can get you into the lion's den with a spear screaming like a banshee. I know that's a Billick line, but, but you know, you kind of needed the, the attitude. I mean, he is the one that dropped the, we were, we were hell to play against. Um, but he was certainly not the, the highlight of this for me. And maybe it's just oversaturation with Ray too. Like I, you know, I don't have, what is he on now? Showtime. Is he on the, inside the NFL on Showtime or oh, something? Now? That?
3: No, I didn't realize that, but.
1: Exactly. I don't have Showtime. And now that's why I don't, I don't get over, you know, I st- I'm always going to love Ray. I will. He's, he's probably my second favorite player of all time because Ed Reed's the goat. But um, I, I don't get a lot of Ray in my life, so you can take him in small doses. And I think they had just the right amount of Ray here. Um, I, I don't know how much more we're going to go on this. I know Antonio's got a few more things, too. I do just want to mention... One of the best parts of it, I was actually just pulled it up in like a silence tab and I was scrub- scrubbing through it to make sure that we got some stuff. I mean, the Tony Saragusa uh, diarrhea, whatever, backed up story, uh, the backed up story is, is all time. Please go watch it again if, if you haven't seen that. And maybe this is recency bias and it's a very small part of the podcast. But I remember going through and I'm looking at my text now. I did text you guys about this as well. In week four, the Bengals. Had four yards rushing and 94 yards of total offense. And Corey Dillon walked off the field. He walked off the field. He quit. He quit. You know what, Bengals fans? That's what you are. Never forget, that's what you are. You're not the team now because guess what? You talked all the crap, but you didn't back it up. You wanted to be the 2000 Ravens where all you did was spout your mouth off, mouth off Eli Apple and then win the big game. But you couldn't do it because you're the Bengals. You're quitters. And that's what you are. Corey Dillon encapsulates the entirety of what Cincinnati is. And when I saw that clip, it made me so happy. To watch him and the and the, the co- I don't even know who the coach was at the time, just some no name generic white, and he like it just like is like pointing at the field so sheepish, sheepishly of like, uh, are you are you gonna go are you gonna go back out there, and Corey Dillon quit on his team. Because it was too hard to play against the Ravens. Yeah, there might have been a shot from left field. I know, but I just, I just that made me so, so happy to see.
3: The hits were unreal to watch. Unreal, I it's like, awesome. Like, I think like every like they would have been flagged for unnecessary roughness on I think fifty percent <laughs> of the plays, some of the hits. And I mean, what I loved though was standing by it. Like I, I understand like the the Syracuse and Sim stuff was great. That was a cheap hit. Like he should have been kicked out of the game or anything. Nah. But it was a cheap shot. But to like just no everyone maintained like, nah, that was clean. I loved it. Clean. Like I love like just it was it embodied everything they stood for. And just I guess a final kind of we kind of mentioned it, but a goose point. Like it obviously was sad, but but I am glad this documentary happened because it, it was it, it serves as like a nice encapsulation of his like his life, right? Like and. Um, a celebration of his life and the man, like you know, you, you don't get that much. I, I we sort of saw a very similar thing uh, to this was when that Madden documentary from last year uh, that came out on him mm. and he died shortly after that. Obviously, he was much much older uh, than Tony Sargusa was, but um, yeah, to just like kind of have that at least for his family, it's kind of nice to like be captured in film. Um, so that that was really sweet uh, that like. I do think I did enjoy that it celebrated like his life like that. And it uh, is something they'll always have. And yeah, I I might not rewatch it, you know, like Tim tonight, but <laughs> I will go back and watch this at uh, some point for
1: sure. If it's not if it's not tonight, like it, this might be like a once a month viewing for me, <laughs> like when I'm feeling sad or, you know, seasonal depression grips me. Or oh, what I, have you.
3: I used to throw in the, the Ravens 2000 Americas game. When things, yeah, got, me too. when things got bleak pre-2012. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Jace, the line, like you say, the, the, the Titans thing, like, and you cannot hear a sound. Like when he's talking about that whole thing and the, the playbook stealing, which I love that they bring up. And they don't really hang on it here as much as they did in the 2001. And on that, I will say, look... I think Dilfer. I like Trent Dilfer, and maybe it's the Ravens bias coming out. I'd like him as an analyst. I think he's pretty good. He's full of himself for sure, and now he's going to be a, a college head coach, and that's not going to go well, I don't <laughs> think. But we'll see. Um, but I do like listening to him. He's on Ryan Rosillo's podcast a lot, and I think he's interesting. And he's one of these guys who, you know, commentators for me or analysts for me. If you can make as as a as a dork, and I am that I've literally. Part of my personality is the National Football League at this point, which is is something. uh, Probably not healthy, but, you know, here we are. If if a guy like that can teach me something but also do it in layman's terms where, like, no offense to him, he doesn't even know how to download podcasts, so he can't hear this. My dad can learn it as well. Um, Like, and we both learn something, and he demonstrates it in that way. That's an aside. I think Trent Dilfer is one of those guys. I liked how refreshing – and like how honest he was during this entire thing of like, he knew he wasn't very good. And like, he knew he just had to do just enough. And, you know, he was kind of like very upfront and honest with his guys about like, Hey, we just need to make some plays or we're screwing over this defense what have you. And like, I, I don't know. I just, we've heard the Trent Dilfer stories and we've heard, you know, and obviously the whole moving on to Elvis Gerback, whatever. Um, and you know, did they let their super bowl winning quarterback go, uh, You know, not a debate we need to have, but I thought I thought he was good as well. He wasn't a star, he wasn't one of the big guys. But when they did that, and then they went to like the you know had to bench Tony Banks thing, and then they went to Trent Dilfer. I thought him both in the in the in the um, past clips as as also the interviews as well. I thought he was really good. I thought he was uh, you know it was refreshing not to hear him be like oh yeah well I helped lead this team to Super Bowl. He was like no no no, I just had to do enough because I knew I wasn't that good and I had already been you know, kind of chewed up and spit out by the league at that point.
2: I loved his, the story he told about throwing the pick six in Tennessee and then leading them back on Mm. a subsequent touchdown drive. I had seen the interview that he gives at the end of that game. I'd seen it maybe in the NFL films video where he starts to cry, basically, in in that interview. And it kind of seems, by itself, it was like, okay, NFL player... Is cries at the end of big game. But contrasting that against the story of him saying that that was basically his career in a nutshell was two drives. And the first drive is his ability. And the second drive is doing every single thing he can possibly do to be as good as he can possibly be with whatever limitations he has. And then hearing that and then seeing the interview with the two, you kind of like, it resonated way better about like, He's crying because he just saw his career flash in front of his eyes in the span of half of a quarter of a football game, and he ended up, you know, the order of it was interception-touchdown, not touchdown-interception, and he keeps the job, and he leads the team to a Super Bowl, so yeah, that was a great, it was great to see some more... In things, basically, from from Trent Dilfer, the the playbook getting stolen. That was something else that I th- had been said previously. Didn't know it was Greg Frickin Williams, uh, who was the defensive coordinator of the Titans at the time. Told who knows that this is even real, but according to Dilfer, uh, admitted that he stole the playbook, and then would go on to lead Bountygate as the defensive coordinator of the New Orleans Saints ten years later. So just. Greg Williams, uh, official NFL scumbag, uh, confirmed, and, you know, good for him. Um, and then the last thing I want to go over is just... The documentary ends, and it's, you turn you know, you, you turn it off, you say, wow, that was awesome. And then I just had, like, the sigh of sadness <laughs> thinking, uh, and they touched on it as well in the end, which, you know, the, almost a cheap shot to Ravens fans <laughs> was closing with how they didn't repeat, basically. Yep. And it's just a sad sigh of thinking how legendarily talented that defense was and how they had some offensive pieces and should have competed for titles every year from, whatever, 2000 to 2006. They should have been the Chiefs of, of that era where just every year, because they have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, like they're gonna be there, basically in the final games of the season. That should have been this Ravens team for those five six years. In my opinion, even with the hindsight, well, my opinion, even with the hindsight of it not working out, the Dilfer to Gerbach move was amazing. I think, yeah. even knowing that he was washed and <laughs> over the hill at the time, but imagine that exact situation now where a team wins a Super Bowl with that defense and that quarterback and that offense, and then they turn around and get a Gerback who was coming off of a Pro Bowl season, 4,000 yards in the air in the year 2000. He had a 2-to-1 touchdown ratio. This was the year before. This was not like it was five years ago, and then he had sort of been a middling guy since. He was coming off that, and the Ravens got him as the starting quarterback. And even with that, it just didn't work out. We get, we get one title and and we have to live live our stress for the next 10 years until they they cap it at the end of Ray Lewis's career. You,
3: you know what killed me even more, Antonio, was uh, obviously we knew the Gerbeck thing. I do think the Ravens may have underestimated Dilfer's kind of leadership capabilities or mm-hmm. what he brought on that side. That's kind of what the doc sort of reminded me or showed me if I had any takeaways from him on that. But the thing that really killed me ...was that Gerbach, they mentioned... Or at least Dilfer said this, so, you know, this is via his agent. So who knows how true any of this all is. But according to Dilfer, uh, he was their third choice. Behind Gerbach, who was their second choice... And Brad Johnson, who literally in 2002, game managed his way to a Super Bowl victory. Another two-time Pro Bowler. I was like, oh my God, this plan would have worked if they actually had gotten Brad Johnson instead of Elvis Kerr I was like, they would have repeated in 2001, I think. Because, you know, uh, they, they touched on it. They, The 2001 team went to the playoffs, made the divisional round. They went 10-6. and six. They only had two less wins, the, the 2000 team. But it was just, you know, Garbeck was old and over the hill, apparently, and committed too many mistakes. Um, And that's what sunk them in the divisional round. I remember he threw three picks against the Steelers (laughs) Mm -hmm. in the playoffs in a game. Pittsburgh had, like, 190 yards, and they beat us by, like, 17. Uh you know, I, I, that was, you're right. I love the doc, but it was kind of just uh, what might have been. I was like, if, if this stupid team gets Brad Johnson, not even that great a player, but like a Pro Bowl player. <laughs> I was like, they probably win another one to two Super Bowls in the 2001 to, as you said, four to six range. Because they went to the playoffs three times in that like full span and just were undone by bad quarterback play pretty much every time.
1: I only have one more thing on this. Sorry. Sorry. One more thing on this. Um, I hope the New York Knicks and Philadelphia 76ers never win another game of basketball um, in their entire lives. I don't watch a ton of NBA, but I was reminded that there's a reason for that. Uh, That game had like two minutes and 15 seconds left for about 45 minutes. and I was screaming at the television to just end it. Like the game was over and like every possession was a foul and or some stoppage of some sort. It's infuriating. I don't know why you people watch the NBA. The playoffs are fun, but most of these games don't matter. And we, as the collective, you know, the normal people who watch football and wanted football things, had to suffer through that for way too long. So those two teams can, yeah, they can go to hell. they they got to take some
3: timeouts from these coaches. It's out of control. Out of control. Five five to seven timeouts per half. That's far
1: too many. (laughs) Tim, as someone
2: who watches a bit of NBA, I, I don't think I've ever seen a regular season game where the team behind was, like, fouling. That's a college stuff. Like, I don't... <laughs> that doesn't happen in the NBA. Once it's down, like, under a minute, they don't care. They just stop trying if they're down 10. They kept... Because they knew we were going to watch Bullies of Baltimore, they were like, nah, we can we can do the fouling stuff when NBA foul shooters, like, don't get nervous because of the student <laughs> section behind the basket. Like... They're going to just make the foul oh, I was infuriating. Um, yeah, so that was it for the NBA in, in terms of pod like a Raven coverage. It was awesome. It was a great documentary. Perfectly timed in a week, as Tim mentioned, where there wasn't any real NFL. And perfect for us as Ravens fans. Uh, and I'm jacked up about the Super Bowl, uh, which we will talk about as soon as we go over the random Raven. Jace, you are up this week, so who do you have for us?
3: So, uh, for the astute... Um watcher of the bullies of baltimore you may you've seen you saw this player in passing and i believe his name was mentioned one time but uh certainly no one on the panel so we'll uh we'll dive into this clue number one this player was drafted by the ravens in the second round of the 1998 nfl draft he spent the first four years of his career with the ravens and after bouncing around a few years returned to the team in 2005 all told he appeared in forty-five games with fifteen starts for Baltimore. Shockingly, this Olympic caliber sprinter, as his Wikipedia entry called him, wasn't very productive for the Ravens. In five seasons he caught just 60 balls for 929 yards and seven touchdowns. He managed just one catch while suiting up in four playoff games for the Ravens, an eight-yard reception in Super Bowl thirty-five. And then clue number five. Uh, He wore three different numbers with the Ravens. 85, then most prominently number 83, and he wore number 11 in
0: 2005. Oh, God.
3: Some would call him, some being me, potentially the Ravens' first uh, original wide receiver draft bust.
2: (laughs) Wow, that took me... I think I'm right. That took me too long, though. If, it, if I am right, and that's why I'm concerned that I'm not right. Um, I have a name, right.
1: but I thought it. Uh, no, he's not on our random raven list. Okay, so maybe I was he shocked he or...
3: wasn't. <laughs> Honestly, I swore right. he's come up before, but maybe we just brought okay. him up in passing.
1: Maybe.
2: All right, we will see. Uh, we will go over that at the end of the episode. Uh, fantastic choice, I think.
3: Jason, yeah, I wanted uh... to tie it into the <laughs> 2000 Ravens. I thought this was a funny one. <laughs>
2: Uh, all right, it's time it's it's Super Bowl week or as my brother-in-law sent me a spoof of Superb owl week don't get it twisted it's the Super Bowl week and it's the two best teams in the NFL playing each other we, we get we deserve it and we got it. It's the Kansas City Chiefs against the Philadelphia Eagles, two teams with 14 wins. They scored, like, the same exact number of points or something like that. I saw some stat that came across where they basically had identical seasons. They're both the number one seed. They both won 14 games. They both had some sort of other numbers. Anyway, they're going to be evenly matched. It's, I think, what a lot of people are calling the best player against the best team, and that is Patrick Mahomes against the totality of the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles currently one-and-a-half point favorites in this game. We're going to do a little bit of a preview, go through offense, defense stuff, and then jump into the more fun stuff, the prop bets and the final picks. Let's start, guys. Chiefs offense against Eagles defense. It's, uh, you know, uh, an unstoppable force against an immovable object. Which one's going to happen? But the real issue is, is Patrick Mahomes healthy? I think he looked, you know, healthy-ish in their uh, conference championship. He has two weeks, has had two weeks to... Get as right as he can. Um, so there's that aspect of this, and then it's the protection, protecting your maybe half-injured star quarterback. We talked about this a few other times with the Eagles. Led the NFL in sacks. Got a bunch more in the postseason. They're scary along their defensive line. So where's the edge here uh, between Mahomes, the Chiefs' offensive line, and the Eagles defensively able to being able to get enough pressure? And just disrupt the Chiefs' flow on offense, a la uh, their Super Bowl loss to to the Bucks.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing, outside of all that other stuff you mentioned, is in terms of quarterbacks, Eagles ain't played nobody. Um, you know, they've played Aaron Rodgers, who put up thirty three on them in a loss, and they played Dak Prescott, who put up forty on them in a win. And outside of that, the list is like. Nathan Peterman, Andy Dalton, Danny Dimes a couple times, Cooper Rush, Heineke, you know, uh, the the corpse of Matt Ryan, Davis Mills, early Kenny Pickett back in October. This is Patrick Mahomes. And, like, I know that they don't have a ton of receivers, but this is a completely different animal. Now, am I saying the Philly defense is is overrated or bad? I don't think so. I think they're very, very good. I think Orlando Brown is going to have a horrendous time against Hassan Reddick or whoever they try and throw his way because guess what? He's not a good left tackle, and we all knew this, and we all knew this, and he's not been very good for the – for the. Uh, I almost called him the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't know why I did that. The <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs. This is weird. They both wear red. Um, I, th- I still think that the Eagles' defense – will do enough on this side of the ball. Um, uh, sort of a spoiler alert for one of my favorite props. I do think that they will get to the quarterback, and I think that they will get to the quarterback um, and pressure Mahomes a significant am- amount of times. Will they bring him down, though? Because Mahomes is, is, you know, slippery as an eel back there is a different question. So for me, it's, it's the Eagles ain't played nobody in terms of the quarterback position. And then for the Chiefs, who's catching the ball? Like, Travis Kelsey's Travis Kelsey, don't get me wrong. And I don't think the Eagles have the strongest linebacking core, and I don't know how they're really going to go up against defending Travis Kelsey. But, you know, McCole Hardman's on IR. Like you mentioned, a couple guys made – was it MVS? Marquez Valdez-Scantling made some plays in the AFC Championship game, but could he do that again? Isaiah Pacheco's gotten to the point where, like, I wanted to put some Isaiah Pacheco props in there because he's just a fun player. Like, I love watching Pacheco play. He runs really, really mean, and he finishes off uh, runs like, like, a la, like a Gus Edwards, just in a miniature version. But everybody's slobbering all over him, and that kind of worries me. Like, that player, the, here's your underrated player who's going to step up in the Super Bowl. I think Marcus Spears today called him the most important player in the Super Bowl. Um
3: this is what happens when you have two weeks to talk about a guy. <laughs> when you have two weeks
1: to talk about stuff, but then that guy never produces, so that kind of worries me. Who's going to make plays for the Chiefs? I, I, the, the, the Eagles, it's not the best secondary, but there's players in that secondary. Uh, you know, Darius Slay and what have you. It, it, I give the advantage, and I hate saying this, slightly to the Eagles' defense over the Chiefs' offense to the point where I think they'll do enough to, to, to help try and win this football game. So, I'm very conflicted,
3: and we'll, we'll make our official picks, and I don't think I'll waver, but uh, I was all Chiefs. I, I was all Chiefs, and then you, lo- you look more and more into it. Um, this this game, you know, it's the number one passing offense versus uh, the Eagles, actually, Tim, are the number one in defensive pass yards against per game. So, yeah. Oh. Uh, i think part of that is like you know ball control they just have the ball more so it's like opportunities again so i don't know what the yards per play breakdown is that's just sort of overall and i think that yards per play number is probably a lot lower um because you're right i don't think they have a ton of standouts but they didn't have i believe cj gardner johnson led the league in interceptions this year
1: mm-hmm. um and it, teams are always throwing on them because they're they were down big, right yeah too. exactly we gotta remember so, that
3: um so yeah, so the 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 stats actually suggest the and how, you know, the with the Eagles when Washington beat them uh was being run on and they're 16th against the run. So they're they're not as stout against the run, but are the Chiefs going to run the ball? That's like the thing Andy Reid hates. <laughs> he hates to do it. And so and you mentioned um I believe Antonio you mentioned Super Bowl uh 55 and that's kind of like... I, the the Chiefs' offensive line certainly is a lot better than it was then. Um, they've improved in major ways. Creed Humphrey's great. He obviously wasn't there when that game was played. Um, they've improved uh, their tackles. I think we're both missing in that game. I don't think Orlando Brown's great, but he's better than whoever super backup they had at the time. Uh, I, but conversely, I think this Eagles front, is even defensive front, is even better than that Buccaneers front was that gave them all those troubles. So, you know, it's an improved Chiefs line, but it's, I think, a better defensive line. And I believe Mahomes was hurt in entering that game I, I, against the, the Buccaneers, and he still played really well, relatively, for a team that, you know, didn't score a touchdown, I guess. <laughs> However, how well you can play at a 31-9 to loss. Uh, <laughs> but um, I have fears. I have real fears, uh, I think, of the Eagles just getting after him. Getting after him real hard, and if he's not able to do it, but why, in the end, I'll still pick the Chiefs, spoiler alert on my end, is I just, I can't do it. I can't do it with Patrick Mahomes. I believe his ankle's going to be improved, and I just think, if if he's this guy, if he's the best of his generation... I think he, he, he finds a way. I don't know. That's a dumb analysis. It's very simple. It's kind of hard to say just because we haven't seen, like there's been very few updates about how his ankle actually is to this point. Cause you know, they spend that first week kind of hunkered down in their, their own facilities and stuff. Um, so there hasn't been a ton written about him to this point, but yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I, it's just my faith in my It's kind of, <laughs> that's, that, that's kind of it. It's like, is he healthy? Then the Chiefs have a chance
2: that offensive line in the bucks game jace was awful and they knew they were awful and they knew it was going to be a gigantic problem and then it was a gigantic problem from the first snap to the last they had one of the linemen, they had, like, signed that week or something. Or, like, two weeks before yes, one of the guys was, was a, a guy third stringer who hadn't played. Who had
3: played for, like, a different team earlier in the playoffs, I think.
2: <laughs> that was a disaster. And if anything, speaks to just how good Patrick Mahomes was. That they went to the Super Bowl with that situation on the offensive line. I think they that, like, haunts... Andy Reed's nightmares to this day just you know not having whatever the, the, the situation of that game this line is much better than that. I agree that the this Eagles front is probably better. However, I think overall that Bucks D was probably comparable to overall how this Eagles D is and that kind of cancels cancels things out. I think Andy Reed and Mahomes will have so many plays in the back pocket to, to offset a Aggressive, good pass rush. There will be so many screens. There will be so many little like inside shovel toss you know shovel passes, just like let let them come and then dink stuff behind them and get them on their heels. I'm confident that we're gonna see more of that than we did in that you know disaster with uh with the Bucks. As for who makes plays, Tim, it's three catches for Smith Schuster, it's four catches for Valdez Scantling. It's two catches for Kadarius, Tony, and then just everything else. I think it's just going to be spread out. And then everything else to Kelsey. All the big stuff uh, to Kelsey. And that's how they've done every game this season, basically. Uh, You know, big workload for Kelsey and then spread things out to the other weapons. Um, You know, it's tough. It's tough because these teams are so freaking evenly matched and so talented. I guess I'd give, like, slight edge to the eagles but i'm just barely uh, over the edge overall with you know overall talent on on that side of the ball offensively for the eagles against this chiefs d that we know gives up the yards they give up the points and then they're always in games (laughs) late even though they can be porous at times my question for this matchup can hurts make enough big throws to keep up with the chiefs putting touchdowns on the board in this game. We've seen their offense, you know, be that well-oiled machine and everything in the system is working. But guess what? When you get to the Super Bowl, your quarterback is going to have to make three or four big-time throws. And he missed those uh, previously in in the playoffs. He's had some open guys that he has overthrown. He had the Devontae Smith wide open, but kind of a misthrow that Devontae Smith made a one-handed bounce catch off the ground to secure and to hang on to. Will he make enough of those big plays to win a Super Bowl when you when you really need to have him?
1: I I don't know that he has to. <laughs> I don't think there like I don't not saying like I refute your question, but I don't think there's there there's probably going to be one or two, and yeah, I think he's going to make those one or two um, because he's playing a secondary that is much softer than what he played in San Francisco. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the Eagles offense was bad against the Niners. It was only easy because they were playing Josh Johnson and then a re injured Brock Purdy, basically who could do nothing but hand the ball off. And then the offense didn't really have to do anything and they didn't really do anything. And I think Nick Sirianni knows that. I think he knows that they have to kind of be a bit, you know, more of that well-oiled machine that you're talking about. But I think they're going to be good enough in the run game where he doesn't have to necessarily make all the big plays. And then you know what? When he does, this is why you go get wide receivers. This is why, you know, at the end of the Ravens moratorium that we did, I threw my hand up and said I was wrong. uh, That you can compete without having some of these guys. They went out and got A.J. Brown. They drafted Devontae Smith in the first round after missing on Jalen Rager. Yeah, I know. Antonio is just sobbing into his hands right now.
2: They traded for him, Tim. They traded, they traded for him. They traded for a J. Brown. And then just, gave him, it was and just they, a first-round pick, and was, they got him. That's all, all they was.
1: had to do. All they had to do. And then they just and then they gave him the deal that he wanted, and, and it's worked out beautifully for them. And they've got Dallas Goddard over the middle, who is a good to great tight end. He's not, you know, obviously, excuse me, he's not Kelsey. Kelsey's a Hall of Famer, but he's, he's a serviceable guy. They have enough players out of the backfield where they can make plays if needed as well. And... I just think that – I think Hertz, first of all, is a supremely focused and professional guy. I think he knows that he needs to get better, and he's going to be better, and he's going up against the Chief secondary that – I don't know, man. Everybody was, was sucking them off after the Bengals game because it was like, oh, Sneed was out, and they, it was all these rookies. It was like three rookie cornerbacks, and they all stepped up big time. T Higgins and Jamar Chase did okay. And there were multiple times that we mentioned on this podcast here on pod, like a Raven where they just wouldn't jump. They just wouldn't jump for balls. And they just didn't really know how to play the position. I I, I think Snead is back, but I think that there is enough of a talent disparity between the weapons that the Eagles have versus the weapon or the, the defensive talent that the chiefs have, especially on the outside. I'm not talking about Chris Jones because we'll get to him in a second. Um, that, this, that Jalen Hurts d- doesn't need to be Superman. Patrick Mahomes has to be Superman for the Chiefs to win this football game. And he's more than capable of being Superman and Batman and Green Lantern combined. But I think that I think that Jalen Hurts just doesn't, he can't lose the game. I He could win it if he wants to, but he doesn't have to win it. He just can't lose it. And I think, you know, spoiler alert, that's why I'm picking the Eagles, Mr. Evans.
3: I think you're right, like, you probably want more yards, he's 154 and 121 in the playoffs, but again, they won 38-7 sure. to 7 to 31-7, to 7. and now I certainly uh, think, I'm like talking myself into the Eagles as we go on and on here, but uh, I certainly think uh, it'll be...
1: Don't, I'm horrified, I'm terrified <laughs> of my pick, I,
3: I, it'll certainly be closer, and I think he will have to hit a few more plays... But you're right. That's why you have these stud receivers. I mean, uh, uh, A.J. Brown was complaining about not getting the ball in that 38-7 to win. These guys are, these receivers are built different, as they say, and they, he has the ability to, to take over a game. I, I think you kind of, you mentioned Chris Jones, but I think that's probably, uh, for me, like where the, the big kind of matchup is in this game, certainly when it comes to the Eagles' offense. Um you know the KC DBs were really bad last week, but um, you know they benefited from a just a decimated Bengals offensive line. Like the Bengals lost three or their four starters, and the Chiefs took advantage. Um, and I know the Eagles' lines a little banged up, uh, but it's the best in the NFL, I think, left or right. Uh, and I think that that you know matters. Uh, it's probably the the position you want to be best on your team. If you have a good offensive line, like you said to him, you can, you can win, you can win without having your quarterback to have to, you know, throw for 400 yards. Like if your offensive line's great, it it just opens up so many possibilities. And certainly I think the two more weeks of rest will benefit Hertz. He's admitted he's not a hundred percent or wasn't. So um, I think he'll be better. He really wasn't, didn't hit the deep ball against the Giants or the Niners. Um, which he kind of excelled at all season. But I think it'll come down to just that offensive line. If they can just keep him upright and they play mistake-free, it is going to be tough, I think, on the Chiefs defense.
2: There is a scenario in this game where A.J. Brown has the nine-catch, 150 yards, where most of the catches were not even deep throws, and he just breaks six to eight. Tackles, as we have seen the Chiefs give up defensively uh, in in a variety of moments.
3: We've seen AJ Brown do as Ravens fans. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh no, Chase. Um, intangibles, guys, and this is the one thing that tilts so far the other direction in favor of the Chiefs: the experience versus the youth, the Andy Reid versus Sirianni. You have a quarterback who's been there. He's won it and he's lost it. You got a whole core that's done that. You have Andy Reid who's been everywhere, done everything, been with the Eagles. I don't think that impacts anything in terms of handicapping or what's actually going to happen in this game, but at what point in the second quarter when, you know, the going gets tough, do the Chiefs breathe and the Eagles panic or Sirianni strays from the script or hurts does is put in a situation that he's never been in before whereas the Chiefs can just sort of say we saw this we know it we have time the halftime show is going to be 45 minutes long we have time to regroup and figure stuff out how big I mean we know the difference we know the difference of experience how big of a factor do you think that will be or can be in a game like this or is it just we're just doing the pregame talk we've had two weeks to talk about it Guess what? The best team on the field wins, not the most experienced team.
3: I think the coaching might matter. It's weird with Andy Reid, though, because, like, he's, what, like, almost 25 years into being a head coach and still will just make head-scratching... Like, he's going to do a head-scratching timeout or take a timeout to then, like, set up a field goal attempt when he... (laughs) from five yards away. He'll do weird stuff. Like, that's just part of the Andy Reid thing. But, you know, they don't play a ton, but I did look just the last five meetings... uh, of the, Eagle, or, uh, of the Eagles and Chiefs, and the winning coach in all five meetings was Andy Reid. Three times with the Eagles, twice with the Chiefs. And that tells me Andy Reid's a good coach. He's one of the best in NFL history. Uh, he has the second most playoff wins all time behind only Bill Belichick. Nick Sirianni, this is only his second year as a head coach. So I think if there is a, a, an experience thing, it's with the head coaches, I would think, because, you know, there's still a fair amount of Eagles who were there in 2017, especially in the key leadership positions. Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson uh, on the offensive line. Uh, you know, Brandon Graham, uh, he, he he forced basically the game-winning fumble on Tom Brady in that Super Bowl. Fletcher Cox. He's oh, um, the they have They have still some, some guys, some dudes who have been with the Eagles a very long time, including back with... Andy Reid drafted some of those guys. Uh, so, you know, I don't think the players, it'll matter as much. Like, Jalen Hurts played in big games in college. Certainly, it's a bigger deal than the Super Bowl. Um, but Tim mentioned he, he seems like one of the most, like, professional, like, serious guys uh, of the young quarterbacks in the league. He he seems, he's the son of a coach. He takes it very, very, very seriously. Um, so, I don't think he'll be overwhelmed. But, you know, I I, I do think it is a little different, like jalen hurts i've been impressed with him i didn't expect him to ever be this good in the nfl when he was in college but i think it's just a different game when it's it's him versus patrick mahomes for me that's kind of what the whole matchup comes down to it's it's the best quarterback in the league best player in the league i think some would argue the most talented player of all time when it comes to quarterback and patrick mahomes and certainly a guy who's kind of brandishing his legend and seems like a, a great leader too so I don't, I think the quarterback matchup's the big thing, obviously, but I will be interested to see, Sirianni seems like he can kind of be a bit of a hothead to some of the things he says and does on the sidelines, so I wonder if it gets tight, if he gets tight, um, the Eagles have kind of had a pretty easy run of it, as Tim sort of laid out with the quarterbacks and just... It's very rare we get to the Super Bowl and a team's been this not challenged in the playoffs. You know, 38-7, 31-7. It might just mean they're spectacular and are about to beat the Chiefs by 24, but it also, you know, could could be like, you've had it too easy and the Chiefs have had this Mahomes injury and they had to grind against the Jaguars and you know, they had to grind against the Bengals and who knows? So, I don't know. I think I give edge to Andy Reid just because I like Andy Reid, but the rest, I think, is all kind of a wait and see. But if Mahomes is Mahomes for me, that's kind of the ultimate intangible. If he's back to being 100%, he's the best player in the game and I think he can pull it off for him. Uh,
1: Yeah, I don't I don't have to much to add. Um I will say we should just emphasize the point of Andy Reid. Reed. See, I have a sneeze coming up. Um Andy Reed. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry podcast listeners. I'm trying not to blast your ears off with it with a sneeze. I I think it's gone away. Um I think Andy Reid could make a monumental screw-up because he's a great coach, but it's happened more than it should. They're up by four, and it's like 2.45 left in the fourth quarter, and he throws the ball three times, and all of a sudden, the Eagles have the ball before the two-minute warning with all their timeouts because they didn't have to waste any because Andy Reid wanted to throw the ball. There's let's do the circle huddle play where we all dance around in a circle like like the ring around the rosy and then do something crazy let's little first quarter hook and lateral Tim absolutely try the little first quarter hook and lateral like and he's a great coach but that would scare me to no end on the on the, from the same token Sirianni Sirianni's g- gonna go into this game being like I am not punting I refuse like fourth and 15 for my own five and I'm gonna try and go for it and that I think one of these coaches, again, much like Jalen Hurts, could lose this game rather than win it based on some decisions they make. I think that's an intangible there. Um, I think the other intangible, and, I, you know, I'm happy for you guys to say this is just a personal one for you, and you're wrong about this. I think that the Chiefs expended a lot of energy getting to this point. And I know Jay said, well, they're battle testing and what have you, and that's great, and they've been here before, and I understand that. But – Mahomes is not healthy. Jalen Hurts is not healthy either, we should mention. He even said, like, I don't feel 100%, which is is certainly a point. But there's something to be said for your emotional Super Bowl that you then can't recover from. You know, look at the – it's a little bit of a different situation, but look at the Bills. The Bills almost expended too much energy against the Bengals and were too hyped up and, and, you know, all, like, over-focused and then – they, they end up just losing it because they, they the, the Bengals came in more prepared, what have you. I think it's not as far as saying that the Chiefs already won their Super Bowl because obviously they're Super Bowl champions. They know what it takes to get here. But they heard everybody, and I mean everybody, picking the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. They heard that, and they came out with a vengeance and won that football game. I almost wonder from an emotional standpoint and and again, this is lesson because this team has been here before. If it was if it was flipped and it was the Eagles, I'd say this is a big disadvantage. That they've almost won their big game already, if that makes sense. And I know it's you know, you can you could spit in my face and go, No, you just wanted them to beat the Bengals so bad that <laughs> now your it, it was your big game. <laughs> Which you know what? you're right you're 100 percent right and I cared about who and won I, that game. and i can't and this one i literally don't care um you know i i've already said it i'm picking the eagles but i literally don't care if the chiefs win this game um because you know i don't like the chiefs as an afc person but they don't necessarily bother me and i like andy Reid, and you know I, I can't like patrick mahomes because he's obsessed with ketchup but that's that's my own personal battle um I, that is the other intangible for me. Do the Chiefs come in? and, Or do the Chiefs do the Chiefs thing where it's like, oh, no, they're down 14. Oh, don't worry. We'll come back. And the Eagles are like, no, we're just going to step on your throat now because we have this dominant team that can do it and, is, and likes to control the ball and doesn't get too cute and will keep it simple for the amount of time that they need to keep it simple. That, for me, is, is again, another uh, intangible as well. The only other thing I should mention because we haven't mentioned them yet. Jason Kelsey might be the best center of all time. If anybody's going to handle Chris Jones, if anybody is, and I'm not saying he is, if anybody's going to handle Chris Jones, it's Jason Kelsey. So that might be an advantage as well. Or, you know, unless the Chiefs just keep completely keep him away from Jason Kelsey, which I could also see.
2: I think the slow start stuff is more likely to happen to Philly than it is the Chiefs, just because they've been there, they've done it, they know how important, whatever, the, starts, the start of the game is. I don't envision a Patrick Mahomes-led, whatever, unit, blah, 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 to like be unprepared for the moment, for the start, for some slow things to happen. I think they're going to have that under control. And the, the Super Bowl and the conference championship thing, if they played on a Sunday and the Super Bowl was the next Saturday, I would say yes. But two full weeks of prep, I think they're beyond. I think they took a week to, like, get right and rest and breathe and relax. And then the next whole week is, here's what we play for. Here's what Patrick Mahomes wants to do. It's, I've said his name a thousand times. It is annoying, <laughs> but he's proven it over and over and over and over again. So he will be ready. I do not envision... If, if they come out and they're down 14 to start, it's because the Eagles are just really that good. and And they're whatever. They have a long drive offensively, and they're just better... In terms of a matchup offensively against the Chiefs D, as opposed to just this sluggish start based on on the you know the, the weeks before.
3: Andy Reid also legendarily great after buys. That's something I hadn't thought about Antonio. Um, but uh, entering uh, entering the playoffs, he was twenty seven and four off a of buy. Um, so an extra week to prepare certainly a good thing for an Andy Reid team.
2: Yeah, it's so close, guys. It's so close. I haven't said my pick yet because I'm, I'm like, gonna cheat with the with the pick. Uh, I'll save that maybe for the end. We can do our official picks for the end. Let's jump into prop bets, guys. Let's do the fun stuff here. We each compiled a list of some of our best, best bets here, some of our fun stuff, some of our potential big winners, um, and we're just gonna go around in a circle, I suppose. I'll start. And then we'll go to uh, to Jace next, and then to Tim, and we're gonna pick one, and then you know, a, a, at risk of stealing each other's picks, um, we'll do one each, and then go around and, and agree or disagree, or, or tell the listener that's dumb. Listener, don't listen to what <laughs> don't listen to what he said, even though we rarely do that here. And I am gonna jump just right in off the top rope, and it's my biggest. Let me see if I'm doing this right. It's my biggest bet, my biggest odds bet, um, and it's MVP. And I'm coming in so spicy because last year, I just want to remind the listener, I had a fantastic Super Bowl last year uh, with prop bets, with the game pick. I think I went 5-1, 4-1, something like that, including the MVP pick where I picked Cooper Cup as opposed to one of the quarterbacks. And guess what, guys? There's no such thing as too much of a good thing. I'm double-dipping. I'm off the quarterbacks. I'm going Travis Kelsey for MVP of the Super Bowl. Not
1: a chance. Ladies
2: and gentlemen, he is plus 1,600 to win the Super Bowl MVP. That means you bet 100, you win sixteen hundred, one thousand six hundred $1,600. And here's my pitch to you. He had 110 catches this year, the most of his career. He had 1,338 receiving yards, the second most of his career. He had 12 receiving touchdowns the most of his career. He was a first-team All-Pro. He has cemented this legacy as one of the best ever at the position. In the playoffs, he had 21 catches and three touchdowns and 176 receiving yards in two games. Didn't play the third game. And I know what you're thinking. Antonio, this is the MVP of the Super Bowl. You're reading off his statistics from the regular season. That matters. That matters. In my opinion. The regular season matters in terms of creating the narrative for who should win the MVP if they have a good game. Cooper Cup had this ridiculous wide receiver season. Came into the Super Bowl with that narrative. Guess what his line was in the game? Eight catches, 92 yards, and two touchdowns. Didn't have double-digit catches. Didn't have 100 yards receiving. He had two touchdowns. He won Super Bowl MVP. If Travis Kelsey... Has a 12 catch, 150 yard, two touchdown game, which is basically what he's averaged over the last couple of weeks. He will legitimately be in play to win MVP of the Super Bowl based on this narrative of he's been that guy. He's jumped a tier, whatever. He's one of the best tight ends ever, if not the best. He's going to fight it out with Gronkowski, I guess. He had the amazing playoff stretch, including that you know, for, the, for the 14 catch game. He had all the sound bites after they beat the Bengals. He was the guy on stage with all the great quotes. People remember that. If he has a dominant game and catches multiple touchdowns and they win, he's going to at least be in the conversation for MVP. And I'd rather be taken plus 1,600 than just go, it's more fun, whatever. Yeah, the quarterbacks win it a lot. I think it's more fun at this number that could legitimately happen. And I'm going to add one other small thing here. What if Mahomes tweaks his ankle and misses another few drives, misses a quarter, same exact thing happens, and Henny comes in, who do you think he's going to throw the ball to? It's going to be Travis Kelsey, it's going to be the, ooh, remember that drive where it was just Henny to Kelsey, Henny to Kelsey, and then Patrick Mahomes came running back onto the field and they were able to close it out. I think this is a sweet number at plus 1600. I think it's more fun than taking the the quarterbacks. Um... And I don't, you know, I'm gonna stop there. I was gonna go into the Eagles, some, you know, some of the Eagles' options, but I'm gonna stop there with Travis Kelsey, Super Bowl MVP, uh, and Patrick Mahomes is behind him, did give the applause, like, oh, he loves, he loves this guy, loves this guy, yeah, he, he should have had one of these two.
3: Antonio, Travis Kelsey, MVP, my number one pick of all the long shot uh, non-quarterback MVPs. I think, I, I, if, if it's not, Tim, if it's not Hurts, if the Eagles win, and if it's not Mahomes, if the ch- well, hey, we should say, if, the, if you think the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, you should absolutely bet Patrick Mahomes. I saw the number plus 130 for MVP. It's very likely to happen if the Chiefs win. But there's a world, like Antonio laid out. And I see it. And we talked earlier about who are they going to have to fu- funnel the ball
1: to. You better hurry up with this point or I'm going to talk over you. Who are I they going to have right to funnel the
3: ball to? It's Travis Kelsey. I see it, man. I could see it happening. And all you need is like two interceptions. You need Mahomes to uncork a pick or two. And that's all the voters need to do it. But, bouncing off his point, if you're like me, of the belief that Travis Kelsey is going to have a big game. I'm not saying he's going to win MVP. I'm just saying it's my fun top long shot. Some fun Travis Kelsey props that caught my eye. Travis Kelsey to score two TDs I saw on Vegas Insider via FanDuel listed at plus 450. He has minus odds for any time TD, but two TDs plus 450. And then Kelsey plus 700 for game's first TD. I loved both of these. I, If you're of the mind that Travis Kelsey's going to get the ball a lot, and if he is going to be on a potential Super Bowl MVP track, He's going to probably score early. He's probably going to score multiple times. So uh, kind of just pivoting off Antonio's point. I I love those two Kelsey props because especially the two TD one, the minus odds for any time TD, where's the fun in that? But two TDs, come on now. Now you have me intrigued.
1: All right. I'll just go first with my first prop bet because it is a Kelsey related one. And it's, it's, it's very, it's more boring. It's obviously more boring. Travis Kelsey, 25 plus receiving yards in each half is minus 145. It was minus 120, and then everybody hammered it. I got it late. Minus 145. I know it's not the best payout, but I, you know, because I, I agree with all of this. <laughs> I also agree that plus 1600 is tempting, and it's it's fun. But there is no world where the Chiefs win the Super Bowl <laughs> and Patrick Mahomes <laughs> is not named the MVP. Let's go through a couple things here to refute some of the things that you guys said. <laughs> if Patrick Mahomes misses a quarter of this football game, the Chiefs are not winning the Super Bowl. Chad Henney does, can't not touch the field for the Chiefs to win this Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles. Tim, these are good points. <laughs> Let's go to the next point. My other biggest thing here. Antonio is absolutely right when he says, well, it's the Super Bowl MVP. No, people think about the storyline. They think about the storyline, and and I agree with all the Travis Kelsey stuff that Antonio laid out. But that was a lot of numbers. That was a lot of, like, ooh, a lot of little, like, math. Like, you know, Matthew McConaughey and Wolf of Wall Street. A lot of, you know, above-the-shoulders type of stuff. Very acidic, all numbery. You know what's easy for writers and easy for the voters? Best player in the NFL bum ankle lead Super Bowl win that's going to be the story he's going to be limping around there throwing every pass to Travis Kelsey I'm more than willing to accept that 14 catches you know 150 yards two tuds I'm more than willing to accept that but they're going to look at Mahomes and go oh look at the grit on Patrick Mahomes and if they win the Super Bowl he's going to be on the field the entire time he's going to play incredibly well I think and they're going to give him the MVP because it's a boring award. And, it, and I don't disagree that it probably should be Kelsey if he goes off for that. But it's just not going to be. So I love, again, 1,600, why not? Have a little sprinky. If we get to like, you know, 627 on Sunday and I'm starting to get really nervous about my Eagles pick, I'll just, you know, maybe maybe I'll throw some on that because Antonio, again, had a very, very good Super Bowl last year and he's a very smart gambler. I just, this one, I I don't think there's any chance if you're gonna if you're gonna go non-quarterback I would go Eagles options and I don't have him in front of me I didn't look at Super Bowl MVP but if you're gonna go non-quarterback and you're stuck to that go Eagles options because I think Hurts can game manage the hell out of this game and win Patrick Mahomes has to be the Chiefs for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl so I think it's automatic that you know if you're picking the Chiefs just go Chiefs money line and Patrick Mahomes Super Bowl MVP in a parlay and that and that'll be it yeah I mean not likely to happen. <laughs> That's why it's plus
2: 1,600, I know. But I'm tempted. That number. That number Fair is enough. just so good. Fair enough. And T- Jace, I think Jace makes maybe the better point than the injury is, does Mahomes throw two picks in this game? That may impact. And Kelsey has the, whatever, the ridiculous game. That's basically what happened to Stafford. He had some turnovers in that game, and that all yeah. but eliminated him as as any sort of, you know, the, the quarterback of the winning team, winning MVP. All right, my second one. Uh, is my second longest, longest shot pick, whatever, we're doing them in order, and uh, Jace likes Travis Kelsey for first, first touchdown of the game, I don't, I don't hate that, I don't hate that, Jace, I'm going Eagles, I'm going Miles Sanders, first touchdown, it's plus 850, it's another tasty number, where you don't have to put a lot down, and you can win a lot, and I'm just repeating the script from the 49ers game, basically, The toss goes whatever. The Eagles get the ball first. And they just come out with that perfect, you know, um, just set up list of plays. They got the 10, 15 plays that they had all set to go entering the game. And they run them effectively. The Chiefs D are on their heels. And they drive down the field. They get inside the 10-yard line. And they hand it off to Miles Sanders. And he has a 6-yard carry for a touchdown. That's what they did against the amazing defense of the 49ers on the first drive. And they can do it again against a much worse Chiefs defense. And it's plus 850 for the starting running back in a Super Bowl. Sirianni probably not going to have Hurts just slinging the ball all over the field on the first drive uh, of the game. It'll probably be a lot of just the short passes, stuff on the ground, and when they get in the red zone, give it to Sanders and go behind that offensive line. Even if the Chiefs get the ball first, can't you see a scenario where the Chiefs get a couple of first downs and then the drive stalls. They kick a field goal. Maybe the Eagles get a sack in the red zone. And they have to settle for a field goal. And then you just give the ball to the Eagles. And the same exact drive happens. Even though they didn't get the ball first. I'm into this. Miles Sanders. First touchdown. Plus 850.
3: I like that pick a lot, Antonio. But I am looking for my next prop. Not at the Eagles starting running back. But their backup running back. Kenneth Gainwell. Most, most rushing yards in a game. Plus 550. He was the Eagles' leading rusher in both playoff games against the Giants and against the 49ers, and he's just Mop-up had... duty, Jace. He's... It was mop-up duty. Oh, I Am I being contradictory in my picks? Maybe. But uh, he looked real good. He looked like he had the stuff that maybe Sanders didn't... Uh, the, the little pop. So, I don't know. I got suckered in by the Gainwell experience, and I saw that number, and I was like, Miles Sanders plus 165, most rushing yards in the game. That's not exciting. I was like, Jalen Hurts plus 350. He hasn't been running a ton uh, since his injury, so I couldn't trust that. But Kenneth Gainwell, now, now you have my uh, my interest. <laughs> so, so that is that's my second prop, a little bit of a goofy one, but one that caught my eye uh, for sure.
1: I swear to God, we did not talk about these before <laughs> yes. But my, I have a kind of a double combo prop, two props here that both involve Kenneth Gainwell. <laughs> we'll start with we'll start with. Kenneth Gainwell over 18 and a half rushing yards in the game. Oh, That's it. Lock. If you go, if you look, he is currently in the regular season. He averaged 4.4 uh, 4 yards an attempt. Uh, let's go. Yeah, oh, I'm looking at it. Actually, there's a little bit of a spoiler there. Yeah, 4.4 4 yards an attempt. In the playoffs, he's averaging 6.2 yards per attempt. If you even take the 4.4, 4, just that, he needs a total of five carries. <coughs> To hit his average, and he's got 22 yards. He's slamming the over there. This one's at minus 114. He's again, like we all said, I know mop up duty, mop up duty, mop up duty. He's gone over 18 and a half yards, including playoffs. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times this season. Nine times they give him the ball as well. You know, he's in the play, in the two playoffs games. He's averaged 13 carries per game. You know, in the, in the in the regular season, I know it was a little bit less, obviously. But I think Kenneth Gainwell, oh, or over 18.5 yards at minus 114 is a lock. And that moves me to a, a plus uh, odds here prop. Kenneth Gainwell to have more rushing yards than Jarek McKinnon at plus 100. Plus 100. So let me, let me just roll this through you. We did all the Kenneth Gainwell stats, right? Since the game against Houston uh, on December 18th, where Jarek McKinnon had 10 rushing attempts for 52 yards, he has had five attempts for seven yards against the, the Seahawks, two attempts for four yards against the Denver Broncos, two attempts for six yards at the Las Vegas Raiders, 11 attempts for 25 yards, averaging 2.2 yards per carry against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then last week, four attempts for for one yard they know that he is the receiving running back they they love giving him the little screen pass the little shovel pass those don't count as rushing yards folks those counted as as receiving yards Kenneth Gainwell more rushing yards than uh Jarek McKinnon I almost said Pacheco at plus money at plus 100 that's stealing from Fandle I mean it's too good to be true I love that pick. Oh, when Kenneth Gainwell is
2: like inactive for this game it's just going to be a real... oh I'm done. <laughs> he only got carries because they were up by 30 points in in both playoff games i well, i, have, I'm, I'm, I love it Mary run with the ball play. quite literally but i have i have some concerns i like the over the yards tims
1: yards one that that i'm i'm definitely was it 18 18 and a half so it was 16 yeah. and a half people jumped on it it's now 18 and a half and all it takes is like one run and then a couple short yard attempts that's all it takes yeah. And they rotate running backs, too. And Jalen Hurts, as Jace mentioned, isn't running as much with the injury. Kenneth Gainwell's going to get carries in this game. All it takes is him to get over 18 and a half. Bust one, and we're we're done. Bust one, and we're done. Family show.
2: All right. Uh, let's go next. I'm up, right? Is it back to me? Yes. Here? Yeah, back to you. Um, <laughs> whatever. My, my least fun one Um. Travis Kelsey over 79 and a half receiving yards it's even money if they win he'll be the reason they won and he'll have 80 or more yards receiving if they are losing and lose he will have a ton of fourth quarter usage it, unless the Eagles quite literally have two humans covering him on every play he's gonna get over 80 yards he's gonna be the uh, like the engine for the passing game I'm just taking it, and considering how much I like him as a long shot for MVP, I think he's going to at least get 80 yards receiving. Finn.
3: Uh, It's hard to argue. (laughs) Hard to argue. Um, I'm also sticking with the Chiefs for my next one. I love plus money odds, if you guys haven't noticed, for these props. Uh, Frank Clark to record a sack, plus 124. Frank Clark, not a great guy. Generally an inconsistent player, but he is... Incredible in the playoffs. Uh, he has sacks in both of the Chiefs' playoff games this year. And in fact, Frank Clark is third all time on the NFL's official list for playoff sacks, which is since 1982 when they started counting sacks. He's behind Bruce Smith and the leader, Willie McGinnis. And that is Frank Clark at number three. He comes alive in the playoffs. And to get plus odds on a guy who has a sack in every game this year, I know I said the Eagles' is very good, so they might not get many opportunities, certainly. Um, but I don't know. I just like the Frank Clark at plus money guy who gets a, seemingly gets a sack in every playoff game he plays. Uh, so that's, that, that was one that caught my eye as well.
1: I, I have a couple sack ones that I'll run through at the end when we do and like just r- real rattle them off. Cause I know obviously we're going long here cause we're talking about prop bets, but my last one that I'll just expand on a little bit. And it's probably not my most confident one, I will say. But this was, this one's fun. And I, kind of, I do want to see what you guys think of this one. It, and I didn't want to include it in my, my rattle off. Last play of the game to be a quarterback kneel. No. At plus 184. I think this game is cool. going to be close. It will not be. The last play will not be a quarterback kneel at plus 184. I don't have the yes for you, unfortunately. Um, I was trying to pull that up real quick, and it's not there. But... Uh, I think obviously like like Jay said it, it was it, it's it is the underdog side. I know that the yes was a minus sign and we love hunting for plus signs here obviously as you know. I think this game is going to be close enough to the point that all it takes is the team losing to have the ball last and and I think that's a very good op, a very good chance that we get some weird lateral play or some like Hail Mary at the very end of the game with the team down two And it's not going to be just a simple, let's kneel it out. Now, where this could turn is Mahomes or or Hurts throwing a pick with 14 seconds left. And the guy, you know, just dives on the ground and then you QB kneel it from there. That could kill me, I know. But something about this game, and maybe we're hyping it up too much. I just think there's going to be something on the line with, with that last play of the game.
3: No, I like that. I mean, it's 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 a way to root for just general excitement too, which is always fun. Sure, Uh, I'm very excited for the Super Bowl. uh, The closer we get to it, one versus one, I don't really care who for the first time in a long time, I don't really care who wins. I feel like like uh, you know, Tom Brady's not involved, uh, hopefully ever again. Uh, And uh, yeah, um, it's just should be a, a fantastic game. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. All
2: right, I have two picks left so i'm gonna say them both here uh, and then we can have you guys get your final picks i know tim and i are in agreement about this one we had a little pre little pre-show chat by accident and tim let's run with it uh it's over five and a half sacks for the game total between both teams it's plus 104 it's not that much plus money but it's not minus money it's plus money for over five and a half sacks Patrick Mahomes, mobility. Could very easily limit him against the Eagles lean that Eagles team that led the league in sacks by a mile and then got a bunch in the postseason. We need two sacks from the Chiefs defense, maybe, who, as we have touched on, have Chris Jones off the playoff sack. Schneid, you know, he's ready to go now. Frank Clark could steal a, a sack or two, and then Jason Jace will, Jace will hit something there. Chiefs Bengals had eight sacks total. Eagles Niners had four, but it was a blowout with backups in the fourth quarter, and the 49ers, who were behind and throwing, basically were doing three-step drop, five-yard passes the entire second half, because Brock Kurt Purdy couldn't feel his hand uh, and <laughs> could not throw the ball or take five-step, seven-step drops, that kind of thing. So, boy, I think the Eagles get four sacks. I think the Chiefs get two. And we have six sacks halfway through the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm very into this over five and a half sacks. Uh, and then quickly, this is just my la- just like a fun one. I don't know if I'm going to touch it or not, but I'll laugh if it happens. Either team misses a point after touchdown. <laughs> no, it's plus, it. plus 300, fellas, plus 300. Jake Elliott missed two uh, extra points this year. Butker missed three this year. One could get blocked. We could have a penalty after a touchdown, an excessive celebration. Maybe Mahomes throws a touchdown and has a you know a, a, another penalty or something, a taunting penalty happens, and all of a sudden, the point after becomes a 45-yard attempt. That could get missed. So I'm very intrigued by a plus 300. Either team has to miss the point after touchdown.
3: That's extremely fun. Um, Tim, I'll let I you go that. quick. I, the only thing I have is a a few more of the the mvps that caught my eye and we've talked about them uh a little bit obviously aj brown plus 1300 is what i saw uh as super bowl mvp if you're in on the eagles and don't think it's going to be jalen hurts i think that's intriguing a one that even intrigued me even more based on what we saw against a pretty decent niners offensive line in the nfc title game hassan reddick at plus three thousand as Super Bowl MVP. Now, a defensive player has not won Super Bowl MVP since Von Miller did in Super Bowl 50, and you'd have to put up a kind of commensurate line, I think, with what he did, which was uh, two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles that one directly was a defensive touchdown by his team, and the other led to... a uh, Offensive touchdown in a twenty-four to ten win, so maybe there won't be enough scoring to justify it.
2: And your quarterback also has to be uh, essentially a senior citizen, yeah, a
3: guy who has a team. severe neck injury who can't throw the ball more than five yards. Um, so it's 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 not it's less likely than that scenario that played out. But I think like what we saw like Reddick do last week, if he could kind of do what he did in the first half, like over the course of a full game, like multiple game-changing sacks, strip sack, fumble recovery. He could maybe compile enough stats to sort of get in it, but the A.J. Brown one caught my eye, and then that, that's, for defensive players, the most intriguing. And I know these teams, lo- at least the Eagles, love to run. Don't bet anything on an MVP running back. A running back has not won Super Bowl MVP since 1998, so save your money there, people.
1: Good call. I will say, uh, I you know, I, I, I said it here before, and no free ads, but I do use FanDuel. Um Their Super Bowl props thing is kind of annoying because you pull up the Super Bowl props page and then you go to more Super Bowl bets and it takes you to the main Super Bowl page, not the props page, and then you can't find the props unless you, like, had them at that time. All I'm saying is I was really trying to bet that kicker to miss an extra point and I can't find it and I really need that on my sheet here before this episode comes out and it moves the line because everybody (laughs) slams it. Uh, A couple more that I have real quickly. To go along, I'm I'm with Antonio on the five and a half sacks to kind of hedge my Eagles pick. Chris Jones to record a sack and the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl plus 240. again you know he doesn't get a sack of the postseason he had two in the biggest game against the Bengals maybe he just keeps the hot streak going uh we did the Travis Kelsey one here Chris Jones over three and a half tackles that includes assisted tackles as well now I looked at his stats this year, and I'm not super confident about this one anymore. He's a game wrecker that doesn't get a lot of tackles. Hopefully that changes here, although I know it's tough against that Eagles team. Uh, Yes, both teams to complete their first pass attempt at minus 105. I think rhythm. They're going to get Jalen Hurts in rhythm. They'll get Patrick Mahomes in rhythm, unless Andy Reid does something ridiculous, which could also happen too. Don't love the minus odds there, but, you know, what are you going to do? And then my last one that I haven't mentioned here, because we did all the Gainwell stuff, is... Heads at minus 104 for the coin toss. I'm going Heads. Everybody says Tails never fails. Uh, I, even before listening to the Bill Simmons podcast today, they said Heads was like seven out of the last ten Super Bowls or something like that. I Even before I heard that, I went Heads. I'm always a Heads guy anyway. Uh, another family show. Jesus. Um, I, th- I think that that team is going to – or th- that team. I think Heads is going to win. So give me Heads minus 104.
2: Yeah, Tails never fails. That fails about 50% of the time, roughly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right about half. All right, last picks here. The game itself. Um, My co-hosts are, you know, uh, men and made actual picks uh, for the game against the line. And I'm uh, afraid of it. So I'm going to instead do a a two-bet, not two-team parlay. There's only one game, but a two-bet parlay. Because I think two things are going to happen in this game. I think it's going to be close. I don't know who's going to win. And I think there's going to be points scored. The Chiefs, number one in terms of scoring points, the Eagles number three in terms of scoring points, I think the Chiefs are at 29 points per game, and the Eagles are at like 27 points per game, so anyway, I'm doing two lines, uh, adjusted by six points, I'm going to take the Chiefs plus seven and a half, I'm taking them because they're one and a half point dogs, so I'm getting the extra one and a half point, and I'm moving it, you know, the six points to plus seven and a half, And then I'm taking the over, but I'm adjusting the line from 50 and a half to 44 and a half. So it has to be a one score game, basically, and you got to get 45 points. Both of these teams love going forward on fourth down. They're not going to kick field goals on fourth and one, fourth and inches. They're not going to punt at midfield on fourth and two. They're going to be aggressive, and even if that aggression works half the time overall, that, that good old math tells me that that's going to benefit the points. It's going to benefit the over. And I think we have like a 30 to 27 game. Either way, 28 27, something close like that. Chiefs, plus 7.5, in addition to over 44.5. One bet. Two things need to happen. I'm 37 and 27 on the season. I would love to finish the season at up, you know, plus double digits here. I don't want to be up nine. Nine units. I want to be up 11. So that's the final bet. Um, And that's it. Now to my fellas who have real,
3: honest
1: bets on the actual line of this
3: game. Yeah, we're on both sides of the fence. Tim, do you want me to just go first and you can argue the opposite side?
1: Yeah, I'm currently putting in Miles Sanders to score the first and last TD at plus 8,000. So (laughs) yeah, go ahead.
3: Uh, So I'm taking the Chiefs still. Um, So I saw this via ESPN reading some of their gambling coverage. Um, The Chiefs. 8-11 against the spread this season. Don't cover cover a lot. Um, They are the sixth team to reach the Super Bowl with a losing record against the spread. And four of the previous five uh, teams of those six to reach the Super Bowl with a losing ATS record lost the Super Bowl. But Patrick Mahomes is an underdog. It seems like he's going to be an underdog, unless the money really gets moving, for just the tenth time in his career in this game. And it'll be the first time he's an underdog in the playoffs at kick if it line stays um he's six and three outright as an underdog and if i believe patrick mahomes is healthy and the best player in the nfl and one of the best quarterbacks of all time which uh, led to believe is probably true (laughs) to this point i think he finds a way to win this game um i just don't want to bet against him as an underdog It's kind of all (laughs) the pick comes down to uh and that is why my pick is chiefs plus one and a half uh yes plus one and a half um but as the days have gone uh, by and we get closer to the Super Bowl, I lean more and more towards the Eagles. So take that for what you will. But the pick officially is she's uh, plus one and a half. Just because I can't bet against Mahomes.
1: I don't like that. As of right now, seventy-seven percent of the money is on the Eagles. Seventy-one <laughs> percent of the bets is on the Eagles. I don't like being on that side. I I loved being on the non-Bengals side last week, even just from a picks perspective because it was like everybody was just punching their ticket. I don't love this whole Eagles, like, team of destiny type of thing all year and, like, now they think that they're the underdogs when they're not. Sounds a lot like the Cincinnati Bengals last week. Um, I'm picking the Eagles. I think the Eagles are just better. If Patrick Mahomes was healthy, I'd have a worse time with this. Um, part of it is because I did put a small future on the Eagles and now just want to not hedge and just go for it. Um, I will admit to my bias is there. I just think overall they are better. They are just a better football team than this Chiefs team who has a lot of top-level talent, but I'm not sure about the middle and lower tiers. And I hate betting against Patrick Mahomes. Again, I'm happy that I'm not actively like with my guts and emotion rooting for a team here um, you know I'm, I'm slightly going to favor the Eagles monetarily of course, but I just think it, it comes down to this. I know it oh we ain't played nobody that's not their fault. and even when they hadn't played nobody, they beat the crap out of the teams they're supposed to beat the crap out of for the most part. So give me Philly um, and grease up the light poles baby Eagles <laughs> Eagles win this one.
2: All right, Jace, let's go over the random Raven one more time and get on out of here.
3: Yes, so clue number one. This player was drafted by the Ravens in the second round of the 1998 NFL Draft. Number two, he spent the first four years of his career with the Ravens and, after bouncing around a few years, returned to the team in 2005. All told, he appeared in 45 games for the Ravens with 15 starts. Shockingly, this... Olympic caliber sprinter, as this Wikipedia entry called him, wasn't very productive for the Ravens. In five seasons, he caught just 60 balls for 929 yards and seven touchdowns. He managed just one catch while suiting up in four playoff games, an eight-yard reception in Super Bowl 35. Clue number five, he wore three different numbers with the Ravens, 85 his rookie year, then most prominently number 83, and then when he returned in 2005, he wore number 11. And just as an aside... He definitely wrote his own Wikipedia entry uh, as it refers to him as Mr. Johnson at one point. Oops. Got to give it away there.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, I was, I was not confident and now I'll just go with mine here because I think Antonio is way more confident still than I am. I am going to go Patrick
0: Johnson.
3: It is Patrick Johnson. I'm sorry. I gave it away there, but that made me laugh so much when I saw that on Wikipedia should have obviously saved it, but shocked. I haven't done that before, but yeah, Patrick Johnson, he showed up very briefly. He caught the game-winning touchdown from Dilfer against the Titans in their regular season meeting in Nashville in the Bullies of Baltimore documentary, if you watched on Sunday. Uh, and you also saw him pushing Shannon Sharp up the field in the AFC title game, and that was uh, his about two appearances. Jamal Lewis mentioned him doing that. That's <laughs> That was Patrick Johnson's uh, impact on the 2000 Ravens. And, uh, yeah, I believe I earlier in the show I said possibly the first – uh real ravens wide receiver bust of guys he was drafted 42nd overall out of oregon um uh, didn't do much but they brought him back <laughs> which is fascinating
2: i had no man i had no, no not even memory i had no knowledge that he was back on and the team he's
3: apparently he was point. back at 04 too but he was injured that whole year so he just like kicked around the practice squad and then they were like come on back for 05 so i guess a brian billick favorite i don't know but yeah patrick johnson Mr. Johnson on Wikipedia, if you look him up, uh, uh, it's, uh, I was shocked he wasn't on our list, because uh, yeah, he's he's what we're looking for in this segment, which is mainly a, a failed Raven's wide receiver pick. <laughs> the, the,
2: uh, the genesis of this idea probably came from that position group. Maybe the first draft bust, as Jace mentioned, not the last. Uh, so many, so many followed in those hallowed footsteps. Um, that's it, guys. That's it for us. It's Super Bowl week. Get excited, make some plans, get some chips, get some beer, hang out with your favorite people, and watch what I hope and think will be an awesome game between the two best teams in the NFL, as I mentioned at the top. For Jay 7s and Tim Horsey, I am Antonio Pajaro. Thank you so much for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week.